Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, hey, Connect. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris. Get to serve on the team here. And just thrilled that you decided to join us today. I know you got a lot of options for how to spend a Sunday morning, but I'm glad you're with us because we're continuing our journey through the Bible where we're trying to make sense of the Bible. Because we said early on in this series, sometimes when you read the Bible, it can feel confusing, but it doesn't have to be that way. The Bible has a story uh, that that is a common thread throughout. It's a common story throughout you might have heard Tyler mention the meta-narrative of Scripture earlier. It's that overarching story. And that's what we're looking at. And what we saw was back in the beginning, God created humanity to have a relationship with Him. And it was good. But that lasted like two chapters, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, because by Genesis 3, that perfect relationship was severed, broken by sin. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and that didn't just get them cast from the garden. They now didn't get to experience that close relationship with God that they once experienced. And we've all experienced the same sins. In fact, we're, we're all too familiar with the brokenness that sin brings. Uh, the headlines are chock full of all the different things that sin has just messed up. We've got natural disasters, war, you know, right, right now, recently, it's been the earthquakes in Syria and Turkey, the war in Ukraine. Who knows what's to come? Seems like every day there's, there's a new headline. And what that can cause us to do is almost grow numb to the, the pain that we feel from the resulting brokenness of sin. Now, while we might be all but numb to, you know, the brokenness out there, we're all too familiar with the brokenness in our own lives. Maybe it's the, the heartbreak of a relationship, or it could be that the shame that you feel from being stuck in a, a sin pattern or a habit you just can't break yourself from. Like we, we feel that. Even just this past week, I had a, had a long day, came home, did the whole dinner time thing, everything, and go to put the girls to bed, and I, I just had it. Like I was, I was fried, and I raised my voice. I would like to say it's raising my voice, not yelling at our girls as I was putting them to bed because I was impatient, I was frustrated with them. And then they woke up the next day and the first thing Chloe told Amanda was, Daddy yelled at me last night. I I felt horrible. So to restore the relationship, I apologized to Chloe and Hannah. You see, that's what sin does. Sin breaks a relationship. And ultimately, sin breaks our relationship with God. In the original language that the Bible was written, that word sin, it it carries this connotation of missing the mark. Like, this is God's perfection. That's the bullseye. That's what we're shooting for. Sin is when we miss the mark, whatever direction. And when we miss God's perfection, what we're left with is our imperfection, our brokenness. And... This creates a problem for us, a dilemma. Because when 
We're stuck in our sin and brokenness. We're not even close to God. There's this big gap between God who is holy and us who are sinful and mess up. And what that does is it presents this question. How can we as a sinful people be in the presence of God who is holy? Now, all of this has happened pretty much by chapter 3 of Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, sin breaks everything. Well, what's the rest of the story about? Well, the Bible is the story of God, and it tells us how God wants to intersect our, our story, your story, my story. That's what the Bible is about in the, the most simplest of ways. So, it, as we continue through the story, what we're going to see today is God's answer to this question. Because his design from the beginning was for people to have a relationship with him. But today we're going to see how now that sin has messed it all up and we've played a part in that, how can we now be in the presence of God? Well, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 16. That's where we're going to pick up here in just a moment. You can also follow along in the church app. Take notes there. What we saw last time was after God freed his people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt, 400 years, where they were just steeped in the Egyptian worldview, God had to define the relationship with his people for his people so they would know what's expected of them. And we, start by, we started by looking at the, the first 10 laws, we know them as the 10 commandments, in the law. The, we looked at the first 10, but really there's 613 rules that God gave his people to live by. Covered everything from how to relate to one another morally and socially to their ceremonial and ritual practices. It covers all of it. Leviticus really captures all of this. And what we're going to see now is that God has a way for his people to connect with him. And what the law did was it exacerbated that gap between God who is holy and people who are sinful. You see, the law had a lot, a lot of different things to it. And one of the, the areas that really has a lot of detail is around the tabernacle, this place where the Israelites built this tent called the tabernacle. It's where God chose to dwell, manifest his presence while they were in transit from Egypt to the promised land. And there's all kinds of ornate detail given to what this tabernacle should look like. And it's teaching his people, God's teaching his people, I'm holy and, and you got to take me seriously. And then at the same time, what we see in Leviticus is that there's this very extensive sacrificial system. And each time people are reminded of the fact that their sin leads to death in, in a really painful way. But now I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's do this. Let's pause. Let's pray. Let's just ask God to speak to each one of us wherever we're at in our faith journey as we get to open his word together. Lord, we uh, come before you and we're so grateful that we can gather like this, that we can open your word, that we can hear from you. And we'd ask that you'd speak to each and every one of us now. Reveal the answer to this question about how we can connect with you, how we can relate with you, given the sin in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. To answer this question, how can we who are sinful connect with God who is holy? What we're going to do is we're going to look at three different things. The first being how God foreshadowed the solution, then how God 
managed and magnified the problem, and then we'll wrap up talking about how God solved the problem. But first, let's talk about how God foreshadowed the solution. All right, now I know I said, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 16, but just like put your thumb there. Let's go back to Genesis 3 for just a second. Genesis 3.21, we're going to read. Now, just prior to this, what we saw in the garden was that God created man and woman. They're in this great relationship, and Scripture describes them as both naked and felt no shame. Life's great for them. But then Adam and Eve did sin. And they realized that they're naked, and in their shame, they hid from God in the garden. But Genesis 3, 21 tells us, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Here we learn a couple of things that are going to be really helpful for us to keep in mind. The first being, God meets us in our shame. He meets us in our shame, and he offers a solution to us. And then the second thing is, sin leads to death. Adam and Eve were naked, felt no shame. They sinned. Now they feel shame. They realize they disobeyed God. And they try to hide from God. But God can't be hidden from. So God finds them. And he doesn't just find them. He covers over their shame, their sin, by killing an animal and making clothes for them. You see, even... In that, that first moment where sin entered God's perfect creation, God starts to reveal his plan to solve the problem that our sin broke. Now, that, that's just the first thing that we see foreshadowed in Genesis. Let's flip to Genesis 22 before we get to Leviticus. In Genesis 22, uh, this is an account from Abraham's life. Remember, God made a big promise to Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations. Big plans that God has for Abraham. Well, eventually, Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac. And this is how uh, it went down when I, uh, Abraham finally had his son, okay? God wanted to test Abraham. It went like this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Well, as the account continues, Abraham, not knowing how this is all going to play out, knows that he needs to obey God. So in faith, he takes his son Isaac, and they set off for Moriah. And when Isaac asks, well, where's the sacrifice? Abraham's like, yeah, God's going to provide. Knowing in his mind, like, Isaac's the sacrifice. His one and only son, the one he's been waiting for his entire life. And yet, of course God did not have Abraham sacrifice Isaac. At the last minute, just when, when Abraham's faith was fully displayed, God stopped him and provided a ram as a substitute. And here we learn two things. Here we learn that one day God might require a human sacrifice. But, spoiler alert, that does not happen until Jesus. But again, getting ahead of myself. The second thing is, is that God could accept a substitute sacrifice. In the case of uh, this account, the, uh, the substitute for Isaac was a ram in the bushes, and Abraham sacrificed that instead. And, and in a way, that really kind of foreshadows and leads us to Leviticus, where we see the whole sacrificial system laid out. But already, here's what we've learned, how God foreshadowed 
the solution in the beginning. We, we learn that God meets us in our shame and he covers over us. Sin leads to death. God could accept a human sacrifice and he also could accept a substitute. The point of all of that being sin necessitates sacrifice. Sin necessitates sacrifice. But, but God's people had so much more that they needed to understand. But even more than like just cognitively understand, they needed to feel the weight of their sin before they'd even be able to accept God's solution to the problem. So that leads us to Leviticus. And here we learn how God managed and magnified the problem. Now, last time we saw God define his relationship with his people giving them the, the law to live by. Like, they're supposed to be distinct. They're a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. They're supposed to be different than the other nations. And as they live and they relate with God and they relate with others, others, the other nations, they should see that and they should long for what Israel had. Now, if living in, in a healthy relationship with others wasn't challenging enough, living in relationship with God felt nearly impossible. Nearly impossible. Because as the law revealed, they're sinful, they're broken. They mess up time and time and time and time again. It's like the one thing Israel's good at, messing up, sinning. Well, they learned this, the consequence for sin in a really hard, devastating way. And I'll just kind of read it for us. This is from Leviticus 10. Just a brief story it says, in verses one through four, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered an unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy, in the sight of all people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. You see, Aaron's sons disobeyed God. They did what they knew they weren't supposed to do. And they experienced a devastating lesson, just consumed by fire. Sin results in death. And simply speaking, you know, like how would we, if we're all sinful and we're like, how do we then relate with God? Like, if he's, we enter his presence and, and it's not on his terms, then, like, what's our hope? And that leads us to the answer. You see, sin necessitates sacrifice, but atonement is the answer. And what we see is that Genesis foreshadowed this, but Leviticus really fleshes it all out in great, great detail. And there's a variety of sacrifices that God required of his people. I mean, there could be a sacrifice to express one's grateful heart to God, a, a repentant heart. There was a sacrifice to atone for one's sins so they could be in the presence of God. That, that word atone or atonement is a very churchy word. So what does it mean? What is atonement? Because it is a very impactful concept. It's very significant to our faith, but it's not a word you're going to use at Costco. So here's how Francis Chan simply explains. I love how he simply boils it down because so much could be said about this one word. He says this, an easy way to remember the meaning of atonement is to break it down like this, at one meant. Essentially, atonement is all about reconciling, making amends for what has gone wrong and reestablishing peace where there was conflict. Atonement allowed people who were 
disc uh, in conflict. Excuse me, I just lost my spot. Uh, Essentially, atonement is all about reconciling, making amends for what's gone wrong, and reestablishing peace where there was conflict. Atonement allowed people who were distanced from God because of their sin to once again enjoy being at one with God. There it is. Sacrifice and atonement is the answer to our sin conundrum, our brokenness problem. We, we had this division, this gap, this distance between God who is holy and us. And what we see in this concept of atonement is that we can be at one with God through sacrifice and atonement. Atonement is the answer. Now, when sins atone for, what that means is that we, when, when we mess up, we can actually now still be in the presence of God because it's covered over. And, and here's how God taught this to his people initially. And then we'll talk about what it means for us today. Initially, he taught it this way in Leviticus 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he, has, uh, he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place, behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Now, to help you picture this, uh, this is a mock-up of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was, the, again, a portable tent, almost like a portable temple, where God chose to dwell as the Israelites were making their way from Egypt to the Promised Land. And Leviticus details a whole bunch of religious activities that take place in this whole, you know, sphere. What we're particularly interested in today is that tent that you see in the image. That's the tabernacle. And here's another diagram that kind of breaks down the levels of holiness for the tabernacle. Okay, you'll see once you get to the tabernacle, it's like more holy than the courtyard surrounding it. But if you go about two thirds into the tabernacle, it's called the most holy place or the holy of holies. It's where God chose to dwell over the Ark of the Covenant, where all kinds of special relics were kept reminding God's people of how God had showed up in their lives, their story. One of those being the stone tablets that Moses received on Mount Sinai. We looked at that last week. Well, they're there. All of it's right there. This is where God dwelt. But you weren't allowed to go there. Only the high priest was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, and only then once a year. And when he entered, why did he do that? Well, to atone for the, day, the sins of the people. It's called the Day of Atonement. Let's, let's read how it went down. This is verses 3 through 11, Leviticus 16. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he's to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So before Abraham could enter the most holy place, he had to take a bath and then put on special clothes, including holy underwear. God is very particular about this. But once he's all dressed up in his garb, he can then enter. 
And that's when the sacrifices begin. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make an atonement for himself and his household. Then he's to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He's to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So first, Aaron, or in years that would follow, the high priest would make a sacrifice, a sacrifice to cover his own sin and the sin of his household, allowing him to be able to enter into the most holy place. And it was in this most holy place that the Ark of the Covenant was, as I just explained. And again, in that Ark of the Covenant where was the law. Like physically, the, the stone tablets were right there. So God's presence, he was like looking down at the Ark of the Covenant. And instead of seeing the law, which Israel broke by their sin, instead of seeing that, what God would see is the blood splattered from these animals the sacrifices that were made. He would see a sacrifice that was covering over the sins of the people. Think about that for a moment. I, I, the, the gore, the, the gruesomeness of it can be a little much. I kind of think of uh, growing up, I had cousins who lived on a farm and would love to go visit them because we'd like make forts in the creek and tube down the river and all these fun things. Well, one Saturday when we were there, they decided to slaughter their chickens which I did not sign up for. And it was so gruesome. I'll save you the details, but just believe me, my stomach still like is queasy when I think of that day. And yet you got this people, the people of Israel who on a regular basis were confronted with this, the death of animals, not for food, but because they sinned. It's like, why? Why all the death? Why the blood? Why all of it? I mean, just, just picture it with me. If you're an Israelite, and every time that you see an animal sacrificed, which was often, not just on this day, it was, it was a regular practice, every time an animal was sacrificed, you're reminded that sin leads to death. And sin necessitates a sacrifice. And every time you would be so thankful that it's the lamb, the goat, the bull that died in your place. It was a visual reminder for God's people that sin is a very serious thing and God can have no part in it. And yet God makes a way for his people. Now on this day of atonement or Yom Kippur, as you might have heard, or heard it called, Leviticus, Leviticus excuse me, 16 tells us that it was only on this one day out of the whole year that the high priest could actually enter the most holy place. And it was on that day when the, the priest would sacrifice a goat as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. That was what happened to one goat. What happened to the second goat? Well, that goat was known as the scapegoat. And this goat, the, the priest, after making the sacrifice, he would go out and he would symbolically lay his hands on the head of this goat. And then, and it's, it, it, well, he would physically lay his hands on the goat, but it would symbolically, it's like transferring the sins of the people to the goat, and then the goat would be driven away. 
like to never be seen again. They would go so far from the Israelites' camp. Again, a visual reminder. God doesn't just cover over sin. He also rids us of the, the the shame, the guilt, the condemnation that comes with it. Some of us need to sit in that for a sec, because we may have, you know, experienced forgiveness, but we're still like living in shame or or guilt. That is not God's plan. God's plan is so much better than that. And God would keep this before his people year after year. Leviticus 16.34 says, This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Every year, the Israelites were reminded that sin necessitates sacrifice. But atonement's the answer. It's the answer for their sin problem. It's what enables them to be in the presence of God once again. And not just that, it actually frees them from the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that they feel for disobeying God, for missing the mark. Now, what does all this mean for us today? Like, first of all, I'll just assure you, we're not sacrificing any goats during our service today. And we're not sending a goat into the Highlands Ranch backcountry either. Sorry, not sorry. We don't have to. We don't have to. Because though we are sinful people, we can connect with God. We saw how God foreshadowed the solution in the beginning, how he managed and magnified the problem in Leviticus 16. Let's talk about how God solved our problem through Jesus. Check this out from Hebrews chapter 10. Really makes sense of this whole sacrificial system, the Day of Atonement, all of it. And there, the author of Hebrews writes this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would have stopped being offered. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you do not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. We just covered all of that. Then he, Jesus said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Sin necessitates sacrifice. Atonement is the answer. But we don't have to make sacrifices to God anymore because God sacrificed his one and only son as a once and for all sacrifice to forgive us of our sins, to cover us, to cleanse us. He atoned for us. We can now be at one with God, all because of Jesus, not because of a sacrifice we did, or a goat we sent away. 
Jesus is the one who takes our sins away. Meaning, our past sins are washed away. Our current struggles, they're covered. Even the future mistakes, God's got them. All covered by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. You see, when God looks at us now, he doesn't see us in our sin, in our brokenness. What he sees is he sees Jesus who took on the sin of the world so that we can have a relationship with God once again. This is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. So what this means practically is it means like when I raised my voice this week, it means God's forgiven me. When you watched porn last night, when you gossip this week, you're forgiven. You don't need to to live in the shame and the guilt. God loves you. He loves you more than you'll ever know. And he knew that no matter how hard you and I tried, we couldn't get back to him. The gap was too great. A holy God cannot be in the presence of sin, which means he, he couldn't be in the presence of sinners like us, but he made a way. Now we can approach God. You see, what scripture teaches us is that when Jesus died on the cross, there was a veil. In the, it was initially in the tabernacle, then it was in the temple, and that veil separated the, the, whole, the, the, you know, the, the first two-thirds of the building from the last third, the, the place where it's the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. There was a veil right here. And again, the high priest once a year could go past the veil, but no one else. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in two. Think about that. The significance being that we can now enter God's presence freely whenever we want. We don't have to wait for the Day of Atonement. We get to live in atonement. We get to be at one with God always through Jesus. So how can we who are sinful connect with God who is holy? It's pretty simple. Jesus stood in the gap so we can stand before God. Jesus stood in the gap, the gap caused by our sin, so that we now can stand before God. We can be in his presence. We can have a relationship with him. And this changes everything for us. As Hebrews 10 continues, picking up in verse 19 and following, I mean, just check out the difference this makes for everyday lives. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, all talking about Jesus here, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full measure of assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching." Friends, Jesus stood in the gap so we can now stand before God. And this, this changes everything. It changes everything if you're someone who's exploring faith in Jesus, whether you're new to faith in Jesus, you've been following Jesus for decades. The gospel changes everything for us because apart from Jesus, we can't be in God's presence. We can't go before him. We can't experience the relationship we were created to experience from the beginning. But now we can. And as the author of Hebrews says, Let's draw near to God. Let's draw near to God in worship. 
when we gather like this, and we sing, we spend time together, and we open Scripture together, but let, let me not just stop opening Scripture on a Sunday. Like, let's, let's keep opening Scripture. Let's, let's soak in God's Word throughout the week. And let's also hold to our hope. Like, even though we're unfaithful, God is always faithful. So we can hold to our hope, unswervingly so. And let's spur one another on to love every one by encouraging one another, by meeting together. The best way we found to do this at Connect, we're not perfect, but we're trying to figure it out, is to gather in homes because circles in like a living room, way better than a row once a week, way better. Because you actually can know someone when you're in a circle with them and they can know you and you can support one another and encourage one another and pray for one another. That's why we will always talk about joining a community group to the point that I would actually rather you show up at community group than come hear me preach on Sunday because that's going to be more transformational for you. It's just how God created us. He created us for relationship with him and with others. And actually with others, we can grow in our relationship with him. So if you're not in a group, get in a group. You can talk to like just about anyone after service at Let's Connect and we'd love to tell you about our group. Or you can check out the app. You can easily shoot a leader an email and just check it out. If the first group you go to isn't like a home run, that's okay. Maybe give it a couple other tries or maybe try another group. We're cool with all of it. We just want you connected so you can grow in your faith and also in friendship with others. Uh, to close, I just want to say it like this because Paul says it way better than I ever could. And what, in, what he wrote in Romans was this, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is our hope. This is why we, a sinful people, can stand before our holy God. We can have a relationship all because of Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for that. We are so grateful that though we fall short, though we mess up, you covered over it all. You've forgiven us by your blood shed on the cross. And now, would you, would you help us to remember your sacrifice? And even more so, would you help us to walk in the freedom that you give us? Thank you that we're not left to ourselves. We're not left in our brokenness. We're saved by you, by your grace. So would you increase our faith, we pray in your name. Amen.